This is Music Notes and More with your host, Jason Ginty. This week, Eddie Van Halen helps Michael Jackson to beat it. Flea hates fire. Tina Turner is Swiss. We lose Freddie Mercury, George Harrison, Eric Carr, and Kevin Dubrow. Let's take a look back at the week of November 24th in music history. It was this week back in 1991 that Eric Carr, the drummer with KISS, died at age 41 of complications from cancer at a New York hospital. Now, Eric Carr replaced Peter Chris, the original drummer for KISS, in 1980. Now, he applied for the band KISS by submitting a cassette tape of uh, KISS's then-current single, Shandy. But with his vocals over the music instead of Paul Stanley's vocals, kind of a gutsy move. Now, the application uh, was put in a bright orange folder to make it stand out visually amongst all the other applicants. Uh, One of the KISS staffers uh, saw the brightly colored envelope, and so she picked it to be one reviewed from the pile. Well, he gets a call for an audition. And while sitting outside the room used for the audition, Eric Carr watched the three members of KISS, Ace Frehley, Gene Simmons, and Paul Stanley, walk by to enter the room. No big deal, right? Well, he was one of the few people outside of the band's circle of friends, family, and music business partners to see KISS without the makeup. Keep in mind that at that time, they were keeping their identities very, very secret. Well, he gets the job, and for his KISS stage persona, Eric Carr was known as The Fox. Now, he remained a band member until he became ill in 1991. Eric Carr's last recording with KISS was for the song God Gave Rock and Roll to You Part 2, which featured him on backing vocals. Eric Carr died on the same day as Freddie Mercury of Queen. Mercury was just 45 years of age, and he died uh, from complications from AIDS the day after he had announced that he actually had the disease HIV. Now, Mercury was openly bisexual and enjoyed quite the colorful rock star lifestyle, obviously. Uh, During his career with Queen, he scored over 40 top 40 singles, including, uh, of course, uh, number one, Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, July 13th, 1985, that was a pretty special day for Queen and especially Freddie Mercury. It was the day of their memorable performance at Live Aid at Wembley Stadium in front of 72,000 people. That day, Queen secured their place in history as every single media person, journalist, fan, and critic unanimously agreed that Queen stole the show that day. In reviewing Live Aid in 2005, One critic wrote that uh, those who compile lists of great rock frontmen uh, and award the top spots to the likes of Mick Jagger, Robert Plant, or whatever, they're all guilty of a terrible oversight. Freddie, as evidenced by his incredible Live Aid performance, was easily the most godlike of them all. Now, what's interesting is Freddie Mercury was pretty shy, and he didn't give very many interviews. He left all the talking to other band members. Now, Freddie Mercury once said of himself that, quote, when I'm performing, I'm an extrovert, yet inside, I'm completely different. I'm a different man. Now, while on stage, Mercury basked in the love from the audience, which was famously noted by Kurt Cobain in his suicide note when he wrote of how he both admired and envied Mercury for being able to do so. 
In his final weeks, they were recording a lot of new music. Freddie Mercury and the band Queen were. Now, during the recording of the song, The Show Must Go On, Brian May was very worried that Freddie wouldn't have the strength to record the vocals for the song because he couldn't even walk anymore. Well, Freddie Mercury doesn't give up easy. He took a shot of vodka and said, quote, I'll fucking do it, darling. And then he went in and nailed it in one take. Freddie Mercury had a long relationship with Mary Austin, whom he met in the 1970s. Now, when he died, he left her most of his money, his house, and his recording royalties. She also kept his ashes after he was cremated and has never disclosed their location. When it comes to fire, Flea doesn't mess around. That's right, the Red Hot Chili Peppers bassist lost his multi-million dollar house in a wildfire this week in 2007. It burnt right through a, a lot of uh, properties in Malibu. Uh, Fleet told the LA Times that the $4.8 million property was burnt to a crisp. Now, obviously, he rebuilt and moved or whatever, but a few years later, in 2018, his house almost burnt down again. Luckily for Flea, his neighbor defied the evacuation orders and stayed up all through the night armed with his wits and a garden hose and put out all the little fires in the area, thus saving his own house and Flea's house. Matt Cameron, a very famous drummer with the band Soundgarden and Pearl Jam, was born this week back in 1962. Now, at the age of 13, he and some friends played in a cover band called Kiss. Now, however, after a letter from the management of the much better known band named Kiss threatening the boys with legal action, they decided to quit. Cameron later joined the band Soundgarden in 1986 and appeared on every single studio album and remained in the band until their breakup in 1997. In 1998, he was looking for a job and he was invited to play on Pearl Jam's uh, Yield Tour. He soon became a permanent member of Pearl Jam and has remained in that band ever since. Now, in 2010, Soundgarden reunited and Cameron uh, remained with them until the death of Soundgarden's lead singer, Chris Cornell. Matt Cameron was also a member of the super band Temple of the Dog in the early 90s with members of Soundgarden Pearl Jam. Now, check this out. Cameron has been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as a member of Pearl Jam, uh, in 2017, and he's likely going to be inducted again when Soundgarden makes it in probably in the next couple of years. This week, back in 1982, Michael Jackson's album called Thriller was released, and it became the biggest selling pop album of all time with sales of over 66 million copies. Seven singles were released from the album, including the song Beat It, which featured Eddie Van Halen which is completely nuts. Now, many people have heard this story, but I'm going to go through it because there's probably some details you don't realize. Eddie's guitar solo lasted all of 20 seconds and took a half an hour to record. And he did it for free as a favor to producer Quincy Jones. You see, what happens is the rest of the Van Halen band mates were out of town. So Eddie Van Halen said to himself, quote, Who's going to know that I played on this kid's record, right? Nobody's going to find out. Well, wrong, Eddie. Big time wrong. It ended up being the record of the year. Eddie Van Halen said that Quincy had asked him to play on Michael Jackson's new record uh, over the phone. And Eddie said, 
Okay, A, B, C, one, two, three, and me. All right, how is that going to work? Well, once Eddie Van Halen got in the studio, he listened to the song that they were working on called Beat It, and he immediately asked if he could change some parts of the song. You're going to rearrange a Michael Jackson song? Okay. He told, the engineer, uh, he told the engineer to chop on this part, go to this piece, change the pre-chorus to the chorus, and move things around like crazy, and then done. Took the engineer a little while to put it all together, and then Eddie improvised two solos over it. Now, Eddie Van Halen was just finishing the second solo when Michael Jackson walked into the studio. Eddie told Michael that he had rearranged the middle of his song and did the solo. Now, Eddie was thinking at the time that Michael Jackson was going to be pissed and have him thrown up and beaten up by his bodyguards. Remember, Michael Jackson, R&B, pop, African-American, Eddie Van Halen, heavy metal, long hair, smelling of beer. Think about that combination in the studio. This could have went really bad really fast. A lot of trust in the room. Well, Michael Jackson listened and said, quote, Wow. Thank you so much for having the passion to not just come in and blaze a solo, but to actually care about the song and make it better. Once the album came out, Eddie Van Halen had pretty much forgotten about what he had done, and he was actually shopping in a record store, and the song Beat It was playing over the store's uh, sound system. Well, the solo comes on, and Eddie Van Halen hears these kids in front of him saying, Hey, listen to this guy trying to sound like Eddie Van Halen. Well, Eddie says he tapped on the kid's shoulder and said, Hey, that is me. <laughs> uh, can you imagine the look on those kids' faces? Wow, that's pretty cool. Now, oddly enough, the, ban uh, the album Thriller kept Van Halen's album 1984 from going to number one. You see, 1984 was just about ready to go to number one when Michael Jackson burned his hair and his head and his face in that Pepsi commercial. Remember that? Well, he gets all this new publicity and the album is reignited and goes straight to number one again, keeping Van Halen out of the top spot. Eddie Van Halen never got paid for his work on the song Beat It. Now, Quincy Jones claims that he bought Eddie two six-packs of beer, but Eddie says he brought his own beer to the studio. It was this week back in 2007 that Kevin Dubrow, the singer with the band Quiet Riot, was found dead in his home in Las Vegas at age 52. Now, the band's biggest hit was the song Come On, Feel the Noise, which is a cover song of the old Slade song, which they didn't want to originally record. You see, Kevin Dubrow, he was the leader of the band, and uh, he did not want to cover the song for any reason, because, well, he wanted the band to write every song on their album. In addition, he didn't really like the band Slade very much, so he and the band finally were forced to record a version of Come On, Feel the Noise, so the band decided to try to cover the song as badly as they could, so the label would have to refuse to release it as a single. And they thought they were doing the right thing. Well, it gets released as a single and goes to number on the charts. The success of that single helped propel their album called Mental Health to number one, replacing the police's synchronicity. That album has sold over six million copies. 
And Quiet Riot, well, they're credited with helping to launch the 1980s glam metal scene out of Los Angeles. It was this week back in 1939 that American singer-songwriter Tina Turner was born. Of course, her real name was Annie Mae Bullock. Uh, she, along with Ike, created Ike and Tina Turner, and they had the hits River Deep, Mountain High, Proud Mary, and she had a bunch of solo hits, including What's Love Got to Do With It, plus over 25 other top 40 singles. Now, Turner is one of the world's best-selling artists of all time. She has also been referred to as the queen of rock and roll and is one of the most successful female rock and roll artists receiving 11 Grammy Awards. Ike and Tina toured with Mick Jagger on the Rolling Stones' ill-fated U.S. tour of 1969. Now, later on, Tina claimed that Jagger had stolen many of her dance moves. Remember the movie Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome? Well, she launched her movie career with that film. And she says of her starring debut role as anti-entity, she says, quote, she was not as fierce as I wanted her to be. I don't want you falling asleep in my movies. And that character was pretty damn fierce in the movie. Tina Turner is also in the Guinness Book of Records for selling more concert tickets than any solo performer in history. She has sold around 200 million records. In 1994, Tina moved to Switzerland and in 2013 relinquished her U.S. citizenship and became a Swiss citizen. Happy birthday, Tina Turner. This week back in 1991, Nirvana recorded a performance with the uh, BBC TV music show called Top of the Pops in London. Now, when Kurt Cobain was asked to lip sync Smells Like Teen Spirit to a pre-recorded tape, he protested very loudly by singing an octave lower and attempted to eat his microphone at one point. He also changed some of the lyrics, exchanging the opening line of load up on guns, bring your friends, for load up on drugs and kill your friends. You see, Kurt Cobain was all about authenticity and didn't like the whole lip-syncing idea. This week, back in 2001, Beatles guitarist George Harrison died in Los Angeles of lung cancer at age 58. Now, following the breakup of the Beatles, Harrison had a successful career as a solo artist and later spent uh, some time in the band Traveling Wilburys. Harrison was the youngest member of the Beatles. He was 16 when he joined and was only 27 years old when they broke up. His songs include Tax Man, Here Comes the Sun, Something, and of course, While My Guitar Gently Weeps. Harrison released the acclaimed triple album, All Things Must Pass, in 1970, from which came the huge number one hit, My Sweet Lord. He was known as the Quiet Beatle, but according to Tom Petty, he never, ever shut up, and he was a very cool hang uh, and fun to be around. Now, during the band's early days, they had extended runs as a house band in Hamburg, Germany, and the Beatles were paid so poorly that they shared a small room in the club's basement. Hence, the witness to George Harrison's deflowering at age 17. He says, quote, We were in bunk beds. Now, they couldn't really see anything because I was under the covers, but after I'd finished, they all applauded and cheered. At least they kept quiet whilst I was doing my thing. 
<laughs> Talk about a tight-knit band, right? Uh, George Harrison married model Patty Boyd in January of 1966, with Paul McCartney serving as his best man. Now, they end up separating in 1974, and their divorce was finalized in 1997. Patty Boyd said her decision to end the marriage with George Harrison was due largely to George's repeated infidelities. The last infidelity culminated in an affair with Ringo Starr's wife, Maureen, which Boyd called the final straw. These guys are wild. Now, she subsequently moved in with Eric Clapton, and they got married in 1979. You see, during the late 1960s, Eric Clapton and George Harrison became close friends. Clapton uh, played guitar on uh, Harrison's song, While My Guitar Gently Weeps, on the Beatles' White Album, and then Harrison co-wrote and played guitar on Cream's song called Badge from their album, Goodbye. During this time period, Eric Clapton fell in love with Boyd, who was Harrison's wife. Now look, when it all went bad for Harrison and Boyd, they got divorced and Harrison was not bitter about the divorce and he actually ended up attending Clapton's wedding with fellow Beatles Ringo Starr and Paul McCartney. While Harrison and Patty Boyd were married, Eric Clapton was already madly in love with Patty Boyd, thus inspiring the song called Layla to be written. Wild. Now during their relationship, Eric Clapton wrote another song for Patty Boyd called Wonderful Tonight. Clapton and Boyd divorced in 1988. Ronnie Montrose was born this week in 1947. Of course, he's a great guitarist and formed the band Montrose. He performed in the Edgar Winter Group. In fact, he played on the single Frankenstein. Now, the first Montrose album is absolutely incredible and is often cited as America's answer to Led Zeppelin. And Ronnie Montrose was often referred to as one of the most influential guitarists in American hard rock. Now, Montrose featured Sammy Hagar on vocals. Now, that incarnation of the band released two albums, Montrose in 1973 and Paper Money in 1974, before Hagar left to pursue a solo career and eventually joined Van Halen. In fact, Montrose, the band, was a huge influence on Eddie Van Halen. He loved their huge, loud sound, and he wanted his guitar and the band to sound like Montrose. Ronnie Montrose died in 2012 from a self-inflicted gunshot wound after taking his own life. The toxicology reported a blood alcohol content of 0.31% at the time of death, which is really hammered. In 2012, the deaths of his uncle and of Lola, his bulldog, worsened what Guitar Player Magazine called a clinical depression that plagued him since he was a toddler. This week back in 2000, Scott Smith, the bassist for the Canadian rock band called Loverboy, died at age 45. Now, he was actually sailing his boat with a couple of friends off the coast of San Francisco near the Golden Gate Bridge, when a large wave swept him overboard into the shark-infested waters. A four-hour search was conducted to no avail. Experts say Smith could not have survived more than two and a half hours in waters that cold. He was just 45 years of age. Of course, you know Loverboy for their hit singles, Working for the Weekend, Turn Me Loose, and they have sold over 23 million albums. 
Music Notes and more is written, produced, and hacked together by me, Jason Ginty, and is brought to you by Pirates of the Quarter Tours, the most unique walking tour of the French Quarter in New Orleans. Get details at piratesofthequarter.com. And be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast and follow me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and check out my YouTube channel.